Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. If you have your Bible, go with me to Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is talking. We know this because the letters are red. And uh, if you didn't know that, that's a fun fact. Red writing in the Bible. And it says this in verse 5 of chapter 6. Jesus says, when you pray, not if, but notice, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. The word in the Greek literally means pretenders. For they love to pray standing in synagogues on corners and streets that they may be seen by men. He says, surely I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, Ocean's Church, it's in the translation somewhere. When you pray, he says, I want you to go into your room. And when you have shut the door behind you, pray to your father who is in the secret place. Your father who sees in the secret will reward. Say with me, reward. By the way, we believe this is going to be a year of reward. Your father will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions. Don't father God people to death. Who's ever met a Father God prayer person? It's like, you don't have to say Father God every 16 seconds. Don't use vain repetitions. These heathens think they're going to be heard from the many words. He says, therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you need before you even ask Him. Who's grateful that God knows what you need before you say anything? James chapter 5, let's turn there real quick. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him post on social media. Use the little sad emoji with the tear on the cheek. Rough day. So mad at my boss. He says, if you're suffering, let him. Little just, I'm going to a disclaimer here. If the pastor goes quiet and the prayer is the answer to the message, just throw it out there with some confidence. Is that all right? Is anyone among you suffering? Let him. Yeah. Got it. Is there, if you're cheerful, let him sing some psalms. Is anyone among you sick? If you're sick, let him call for the elders. Let him call. Say with me, him. Notice it's not the elder's job to find sick people. It's sick people's job to find elders. Call the elders of the church. And let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. He's committed any sins. He'll be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. He prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. A lot of prayer verses there. Is that all right? Can we pray? Is that okay? God, we just want to say thank you for what you're doing in our community. Thank you for the plans that you have for Orange County. Thank you that, Lord, you have a great future in store for the state of California. We believe that you're not done with this state. We believe you're just getting started in this country. And we believe that, Lord, California is going to be a forerunner for what you do around the world. So, God, we invite you today. We actually ask that you would entertain us with your presence, that, God, we would entertain your presence, and that, Lord, today you'd be pleased to dwell among us. We pray you continue to bless the Lakers in today. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen, amen. I want to talk to you today about first date. First date. Where's my married couples at in the room? If you're married, put your hand up in the air. 
married couples in the room. Marriage is, uh, mar- being married is like dating with consequences. <laughs> married people. Dating is a crazy season of life. Uh, I, I was glad to date Rochelle because we actually knew that we wanted to date each other before. I can't, I know some of you met online and maybe a blind date. And I just want to commend you because really dating is a tough thing to do. Dating is really an attempt to bond with a stranger. You write that in your notes if you want. <laughs> dating, bonding with strangers. But dating, I remember my first date. I don't know if you remember your first date, married people, but I remember uh, our story is a little bit unique that we actually knew. Uh, I was in Bible college, and we had a program back then because we weren't under grace yet um, that you couldn't date while you were a student in the university. And so I knew that I loved Rochelle. I mean, Rochelle knew that she loved me. I mean, who could blame? I'm just kidding. Uh, kidding. Uh, but no, she, uh, we, we knew that we liked each other a lot. And so essentially, uh, we had to wait a year before we could date. It was like kind of, they're like, hey, we want you to focus on your studies and don't worry about dating yet. And so... Uh, pretty much the whole church helped me stay accountable to that. You try to date the pastor's daughter. They have three kids. None of them are married. Um, pretty much the whole church had a license to rebuke. So I was being policed for about a year and a half. And uh, we finally got, the curse was broken. I finished up the program and we went on our first date. It was awesome. And so I put a lot of time and, and thought, you know, I think guys normally don't put as much thought into dates as women do. Can we agree on this, men? Like, guys, usually it's the day of, they're like, I need a haircut. It's about where it ends. I think Rochelle was planning her first date since she was like seven and a half. She had her outfit picked out. She had to get a pedicure, a manicure. She had to find a new perfume. Are you following me? Like, there's more thought that goes into dates with women than it does with men. And uh, I was trying my best to impress Rochelle. And so our story was is, Basically, we started dating for a few months, and I was young. I was only 20, and uh, Rochelle's older. She's a cougar. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, hey. So we, uh, it's okay to laugh in church. Settle down. It's all right. And so she, uh, she essentially, we, we started dating for a few months, and her dad was like, Mark, we really like you. We're, we're happy with what's going on, but you're still young, like pretty young. Let's, can you guys just take a little breather? maybe for a month or a couple months, and just really pray. And just You guys are heading towards engagement quick. Why don't you guys really go after God, maybe do a little fast, and just make sure this is what you both want. And I'm like, man, that's like trying to stop a freight train with Schwinn brakes. I'm like, We're going to try. They're going to pump the brakes. So we went to a grocery store afterwards, and I remember I had two responses. I could have got bitter at her parents and said, how dare you? We're grown-ups, which we weren't. We've been driving for four years. Come on. And uh, so, but I, I really feel like the Holy Spirit said, you never go wrong when you honor. That's for someone today. And so I'm like, we're going to honor. So I told Rochelle, like, look, we're going to honor your parents' wishes. We're not going to call or text for the next month or whatever, two months. So I bought her a notebook, and I bought a notebook, and I said, look, we'll honor your parents. So every time you want to talk to me or text me, just write it in this journal. And I'll do the same thing in my journal. It'll be like the original notebook movie. Come on. <laughs> and so... We did it for like two months. We wrote, you know, every day I like little journal entries. And so our first date was, I planned out that we were going to go to this restaurant. We go to this ice cream shop afterwards. And then we go like this little spot that overlooks the city. And we would read our journals to each other. It was kind of our date. It's kind of special, right? Man, I want to warn you, you get weird when you fall in love. <laughs> you can't fabricate this stuff unless it's. So I was trying to impress her. I'm like, man, this golf course is really nice, which ironically, we ended up, our house that we got to build, that was our dream home, 
was actually on the golf course at the first place we went on our date. And um, we went to this golf. I thought it would be so romantic. This is a nice golf course. But it was an afternoon day. So Rashawn and I were dressed up to the nines. And there's all these like 60-year-old golfers. <laughs> so I'm trying to impress her. I didn't grow up. We grew up poor. Like our welcome mat just said, well, we didn't have a lot of money. So I wasn't familiar with like fine dining. Never had sushi before, I think, at that point. And I'm like, I saw tuna salad. So I'm like, I'll do that. It was ahi tuna. Yeah. So the only tuna I was familiar with was like chicken of the sea. Came in the can. They bring out this red tuna that was raw. And I was like, can, can we just have the chef throw that on the stove? Gotta work out some of that red. Uh, so anyways, we went on the date, went to the cop with this place. But I remember planning out the first date. And I've learned this, that great dates, and uh, if you're, just stay with me. You're like, Mark, what does that have to do with God? I think that uh, date means appointment. That's what it means, an appointment. Now, I'm talking about a romantic context here, but all great appointments or great dates have three things in common. Is great dates have preparation, number one, that someone actually planned out a time and a place. A time and a place. Say it with me. Time, place. I think most people never have a good encounter with God because they never give God a time or a place. And God told me years ago, he says, Mark, if you'll give me a time, if you'll give me a place, I'll bring my presence. God brought fire on the altar that the man, the prophet, laid out. And if we don't give a time and a place for his fire to touch our lives, it never will. So great dates, great appointments have a time. They have a prepared time and a place. Great dates not only have that, they have, come on, you want to connect. They have connectivity. I think the fear of every single person in the room is that they would go on a date and they would experience about throwing the ball back and forth conversation-wise two or three times, and then running out of things to throw. And then you experience what some of you have experienced, the most awkward moments of life. When you experience that, they call it like death silence. You start hearing yourself breathe. I didn't know I could hear my pulse. It's like crickets back and forth. And the goal is to kind of keep the conversation rolling. And you keep it rolling usually... Because you're interested and you're present in what, what's happening. And you know this is a bad date because at some point you lose interest or at some point you are no longer present. Staying connected is a great, is a great evidence that you're having a good meeting. We're connecting back and forth. It's not a monologue. Not a me monster, I'm so amazing, and I got accounts here in the Swiss banks, and I, I drive in the Autobahn with my BMW M15, and I got, I'm awesome. I, make, I was like, dude, no one cares about that guy. I don't care about how great you are. I want to care how interested you are. You follow me? And so there's connecting times in a great appointment. And the last part that makes an appointment great is there's an enjoyment. You know you had a great date that when you leave and you have that perma smile. She likes me. She really likes me. And you know it was a great day because you're, re you're replaying all the highlights in your head. She like looked at me and she like, she like touched my hand. <laughs> He's fired up. It's like, it was great. It was legendary. It was amazing. I was just, yes. You enjoy it. And I believe that great appointments with God are the same way. You prepare a place and a time. That you actually have a conversation that you're talking to him, he's talking to you. You're staying present in that space. 
that you're actually interested in what he's saying to you, and he's interested in what you're sharing with him. And that after that, you actually enjoy his company. I think prayer is one of the most misunderstood, maybe one of the most misunderstood major truths of the Bible. So many people view it as a religious obligation. I got I to gotta serve my time. We view it prayer like community service. So he told me I got to get in there. Maybe 30 minutes. Pick up some trash spiritually. And then <laughs> parole officer's going to give me the green light, right? And he's going to like answer some prayers. Now I'm telling you that prayer is misunderstood. I believe that all great things in the world oftentimes are a direct byproduct of someone that was praying. Prayer is one of the most powerful forces on the earth. I think the greatest thing about being a human being is that we have the ob opportunity to connect with God at a level that no other creatures do. God has given us the, 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 the permission and the opportunity to actually connect with Him. See, prayer is a specific divine appointment. It's a date. Some people say, I'm too busy, Mark, for prayer. i got, like, important things to do. I want you to know if you're too busy for prayer, you're too busy. And for me, I'm too busy to not pray. I understood that throughout the Bible, God has used prayer as a strength of humanity. Samson's hair was prayer. Prayer is what sensitizes your ears to hear his voice. Prayer is what draws you close back to God. Prayer carries you back to where God is. Care actually, care actually uh, prayer, excuse me, cannot be retired to a secondary issue. We've turned prayer in the church as an elective credit. And I want you to know that you'll never major in the will of God if prayer is an elective credit. Crazy that it's a first response, not a last resort. So phrase God gave me. Many times we treat prayer as a last resort. Well, we tried medicine. We tried lawyers. We tried everything else, counselors and doctors and therapists. Might as well pray. And God's like, yeah. I think prayer can change things when it's first and not last. One scholar said that nothing is done well without prayer. God has placed himself under the law of prayer. This is wild. Do you know that? God placed himself under the law of prayer, meaning this. There were some things in the Bible that altered God's actions and altered God's attitudes because of men and women that prayed. It says that Abraham, literally, God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And God, Abraham was like, please, hey, God, would you please not do that? I got some family there. My cousin, right, like, like I, I, my, my nephew, like, hey, would you please not destroy this place? And it's interesting because as long, God stays and answers Abraham as long as Abraham stays and asks God. Yeah. It's wild that even under the old covenant, we're seeing here, Abraham shows us that God is existent, God is approachable, God is all-powerful, God defers to man, God acts favorably for his sons and daughters, and he grants the desires of those that are brought to him. This is under the old covenant that God spares. He spares Lot and his, his family because of someone that interceded. His mind was made up to destroy everything, but God had a man that talked him out of it. it. wasn't the first time. Moses was up on the mountain, and he was 40 days and 40 nights. God gave him the Ten Commandments. He was rolling down. Come on, Charleston Heston. Come on. And he's rolling down the mountain, and Aaron builds a golden calf, and it says that God's like, that's it. We're starting over. And Moses comes and stands in the gap. And his prayer would change God's attitude and change God's actions. It's wild that throughout the Bible, you see that the early church was birthed in a, it was a prayer meeting. We're all here because of people, 120 people. 
it says that there were women in the prayer meeting. I'm like, of course there was. All great prayer meetings have women in them. Because guys don't know how to pray normally. <laughs> women are like born with this like, let's just seek the Lord. <laughs> guys are like, really? Like, okay, we try everything else. <laughs> I don't know why, but men don't know how to pray like women do naturally. And I'm telling you that it takes men also to win a war. And I believe we have a lot of praying women in this church, but this would be a community that has a lot of praying men. Are you believing that? We're going to be a praying community. Jesus said that my house shall be called a prayer, a house of prayer for all nations. The church wasn't just birthed in a prayer meeting. It was sustained by a prayer meeting. It says in Acts chapter 6 that the apostles go, hey, we're up. There's some financial things. There's some logistical things that are getting messed up. They said, let's find some men full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, that have a good reputation. Let's put them in charge of taking care of these needs so that we, as the leadership of the church, can give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What? They have this idea that, man, the only way this cause will keep moving forward is if there are some people in the church that are giving themselves, just submitting themselves to prayer, and to the ministry of the word. I love that throughout the Bible, the disciples, they said, they could ask for anything. They could have asked him for money, for fame, for, for accolades. The only time in the Bible that the disciples come to Jesus, there's 12 of them, not the perfect 12. They were the dirty dozen. Are you with me? And Jesus is the original youth pastor. He's got a bunch of kids. They say Peter was between 12, 20 and 25. John could have been as young as 13. And he's a youth pastor. And they hang out with Jesus for about three and a half years. And one day, Luke documents, the great physician, he says, yeah, one day, all of the disciples came to him and asked him for one thing. And the wild part is, is I think if the church was being written today and you and I were following him for three and a half years, I don't know if we would ask for what they asked for. Because Luke 11, 1, it says they came to Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Like John taught his disciples. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Like, like genie status? You could ask him for anything? And you're like, I want to know how to pray. I'm like, what are we missing in the church today? What did they know about prayer that we don't? Because they asked for something that I don't think we would ask for. I think we'd ask for like, hey, God, how do we get influential? How do we like have a good business? How do we like have good, how do we have good kids? How do we have a healthy marriage? How do we have a successful, prosperous life? And I think that they were thinking what we were thinking, but they knew the answer to it. You get a prosperous family. You get a healthy marriage. Are you hearing me? You can get, when you know how to pray. Prayer changes things. You see, you never bring a prayer request to someone that has less authority than you do. Prayer reminds you and I who's in charge. Prayer goes, God, I'm not bringing my problems to these people. By the way, I think gossips are actually interceders that don't know how to bring their request to God. It is. If you want to know what the definition of gossip is, it's bringing problems to someone that can't fix them. That's gossip. And what I know about prayer is, is you're bringing a desire, a need, a circumstance, a challenge to someone that has the ability and the authority to fix it. That's what prayer is. Are you with me? Can I get an amen? There's people that, that were changed by prayer. The church was birthed in it. The apostle Peter was locked up in prison. There was a prayer meeting going on at John Mark's mama's house. Of course it was at his mom's house. She's like, boys, come in here. We're going to pray. 
Peter might lose his head. Come on in. And they start praying for Peter. And they're like, God, please save his life. Please get him out of prison. Please spare him. Please save him. And all of a sudden, there's a, and there's a little girl that opens the door. And they have one of those black screen doors from Compton. Come on. It's Peter. She slams the door in his face. This little girl walks in. She's like, he's here. Peter's here. And the church is like, Lord, please save him. Please spare him. Like, no, he's not. It must be a ghost. That's impossible. And I think the church gets dangerous when we're asking God for things we don't really believe. Prayer changes things. Prayer puts the ball in God's court. Cornelius in Acts 10, what he experienced, he experiences God because he feared him, because he was generous, and because he prayed always. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without stopping. You know one of my favorite characters in the Bible was Daniel. Daniel was an amazing man. Daniel actually, according to God, was one of three people that weren't just righteous, they were highly righteous. In Ezekiel, I think it's four, chapter 14 of Ezekiel, God says that Daniel, that Job, and that Noah were righteous in their generations. What do you mean righteous? Like there is zero dirt on Daniel. Daniel was a descendant of David. He's of the royal lineage. He was taken into captivity as a young man. They say between maybe 10 and 18 years of age. He actually goes in. He has such convictions that he doesn't eat things that defile himself. First thing that he did. He actually not only did that, but he actually served in a godless, this is crazy, seven decades of his life were served under four different kings in the most godless nation probably of all time, Babylon. And he was actually put in charge as the overseer, a government leader, over all of the magicians and all the sorcerers of Babylon. This guy influenced, listen, he influenced a wicked nation with the wicked kings and with wicked people underneath them, and he was blameless in his generation. His seven decades of ministry were not in a best-case scenario situation. He lived his life in a worst-case scenario. But it's wild to me that they say that he was probably 80 years old at least when he was thrown into the lion's den. 80 years old. God shut the mouth of lions. Why? Here's what I'm convinced of. The only dirt they could find on Daniel was that he prayed three times a day. I wonder if the reason why he was blameless in his generation, the reason why he was able to influence four different kings, the reason why he lived 80 plus years and was spared in a den of lions was because the source of his life was being on his knees. Daniel was a praying man. Are you with me today? 80 years old. He introduces Gabriel and Michael to the, to the Bible. This guy is special. And he was a praying man. If everybody believes it, says amen. It's wild that, that Peter, you know, I, I could just keep going all day long. It says that Peter kneeled and he prayed for Tabitha to come back from the dead. There was a prayer meeting going on. There was a prayer meeting on the housetop when he had a vision uh, for Cornelius' household. It said that Job's suffering didn't end until he prayed for his friends. And Jonah, it actually says that he didn't actually get back on track with God until he prayed a prayer from the belly of a well. And all the educated people are like, that's impossible. Can't survive a well. And I'd agree with you, it is impossible. I'm not arguing that it's scientifically feasible. I'm arguing that God can do the impossible. Come on, put your hands together, you believe that. Praise the prayer. See, prayer has always changed things. And I love it because in James chapter, chapter 5, 
James actually lays out, he goes, he talks about prayer, this whole, this whole little chapter here, five. And he says, you know what there is? If, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. say with me, pray. pray. Here's what I learned. If it works at the bottom, it also works at the top. Can we agree that if God's solution to suffering is prayer, it actually would probably be beneficial when things are going well also. My mom told me the first time I went to the chiropractor, I was so out. I picked up a vacuum cleaner. I was a janitor. And I picked up this vacuum cleaner. My, my back slid out. Who's ever experienced that pain? It like just like debilitating. And I went to this chiropractor. He cracked me. And I'm like, oh, Sean died. Um, and uh, cracked me into place. And I told my mom, I said, Mom, like, I'm feeling so much better. She goes, Mark, that's how good you feel, and you came in messed up. She goes, try going to the chiropractor when you're feeling okay. She's like, you'll feel even better than that. And my thought is, is that God can change the, the atmosphere of our life when we're suffering by learning how to, number one, have a personal prayer life. Here's what I know about God is that he will give you as much of himself as you want. This is going to blow your mind. Do you know that you determine how close you get to Jesus? Do you know there's not a pastor, a church, there's not a family member that determines how close you get to God? The only one that's actually determining how close you get is you. It's almost, I know a little graphic, forgive me for this, but it's almost like a nursing child. They determine how much milk the mom produces. Did you know that? And in the relationship with God, it's the same way that you determine how much of God's flow of your life you get because of your appetite and your hunger for him. If you, he says if you're suffering, pray. There's first, I want to give you four dimensions of pray, is personal prayer. And again, I don't think you have to be a female or a mom to be a prayer person. Jesus says not if, but when you pray. How do you pray? Well, he says personal prayer is this. Three things I do and I wanted to share with you today is I think that personal prayer is dynamic when number one, we focus our mind on God. Write down, focus mind. I focus my mind on God through worship. I believe there's something about putting music on, about getting your attention off of your circumstances, off of your problems, off of the discouraging things. Here's a crazy, can I give you two crazy verses? Proverbs 12, 25 states this. It says, anxiety in the heart of a man causes what? Depression. You know, I don't know if you know this, but depression is running rampant in Orange County. Watch what it says. What causes it? Anxiety in the heart of a man. Watch what it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, be anxious about, but what? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with, with, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that transcends your understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Here's, here's how crazy the Bible fits together with science. Doctors are telling us now that it's impossible for your brain to be depressed and thankful at the same time. Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression. I think we have a lot of depressed people because we're carrying anxieties that belong to God. So you know what I'm going to do when I praise? I'm going I'm to focus my mind on God by being grateful for who he is. If you're discouraged, come on, just, well, my life stinks. That's fine. God's still good. So if you'll focus on his goodness when your life is struggling, eventually your life will rise to the water table of who he is. God, I thank you that, you know, I don't have any money, but you do. I don't have any friends right now, but you do. I don't know anybody, but you do. I don't know where I'm going, but you do. You need some you do prayer times. It's like you too, but you do. 
and you start thanking God for who he is, what happens when you focus your mind is you, is you get your mind focused on what God wants to speak. And most people never hear God because they never focus on him long enough. And you know why? Because number two, write this down. It's not only do you focus your mind, you begin to pray your mind. Now, I've actually hired the devil to be my, um, my accountant during my prayer times. Because before, he was trying to distract me. And now I just use him. I just love using the devil. So what he does, when I start trying to focus on God, what happens is, you ever notice this? As soon as you open up your Bible, everything you've ever wanted to remember. Gosh, I didn't pay that bill. I got to get tires rotated, the oil change. I mean, that's, oh my I got to change the filter on my house. Oh my gosh, my car's falling up. Okay, my daughter's basketball. It's like everything you ever wanted to remember, it comes in like a tidal wave. It's like, God, just me and you. And the devil's like, here's the list. Stinking devil. So what I do now is I use them. Is I have my prayer journal open, I have my Bible open, and I get a little piece of paper. And every time he tries to distract me, I just write it down. And I kick him out. Start going after God again. He's like, oh, you didn't pay that bill? Yeah, you're right. Good call. <laughs> Kick him out. You, you got to talk to your daughter's game. Yep, you're right. Thank you. Almost forgot. Get out of here. And I exhaust. He like, he's, doesn't even mess with me as much anymore. He's I'm tired of helping that guy win in life. So I, I, I focus my mind. I pray. So what, when, I, when I say pray my mind, listen, if it's a talking point, God wants it to become a prayer point. I'll prove this to you. Like we were on a we went on a ski trip this week, so my friends, we had a great time. It was beautiful. And one of my buddies was just talking about a family member that he loves and talked about how awesome he was and why he loves him and appreciates him. And just talking about how he's not quite all the way there yet with his faith. And I just I'm like, you know what, let's do it. Hey guys, let's pray right. I think we're talking about him because God wants us to pray for him. My mother-in-law was the best at this. She's so good. Like, whenever we're talking, she's such a prayer person. It's like, we'd be like, oh, man, like, you know, did you hear about, you know, this athlete that got injured and he's out for the season and there goes our sports team. And she's like, let's pray for him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know him, Mom. She's like, that's fine. We'll pray for him. It's cr anything. It's like any situation. It's like be a family in the church. Like, man, did you hear that family got all bitter about this? They're mad at that other family. And she'd be like, let's pray for him right now. Yeah. All right, Mom. It's probably the right thing to do. And it was crazy that she modeled to us kids that when you talked about it, if it was in your mind, it's because it's in God's heart. And God wants you to get good at bringing, listen, Mom's in here. When you're worried about your kids, stop carrying it. Because, listen, prayer does two things. Prayer transfers the burden. That's what prayer is supposed to do. Prayer is supposed to transfer the burden from your heart to God's heart. It's saying, God, if I carry this thing, it's going to drown me. But if I give it to you, most people make the mistake because what they do is they're like, they give God the prayer. They're like, here's the eggs, here's the milk, here's the bacon. They give all the ingredients, right, that, are, that they're holding. And then when they leave prayer, they're like, okay, I'm going to need that back. If you're bringing the worries out of prayer with you, you're not giving the burden. And prayer, listen, it's not just focusing your mind, it's praying your mind. And here's how you know you're praying in your mind is that you, how long do you pray, people say. I think prayer is about releasing a burden, and it's about praying until you experience breakthrough. Yeah. Well, how long do you pray then? Well, theologically, there was prayers that were 40 days and 40 nights long. Jesus prayed for 40 days. Like, I haven't been called that prayer time yet. 
There were short, shorter prayers, though. It says one night that he prayed, he prayed all night to choose his 12 disciples. Theologians tell us that all night literally translates 12 hours. Here's a crazy thought. God prayed one hour for each one he chose. How cool is that? And there were short prayer times. One of my favorite prayers in the Bible was when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. A three-word, powerful prayer. Like, Jesus, you come to Thanksgiving, you pray like that. A short prayer time. You pray to release a burden, and you pray until you experience breakthrough. Good spot for an amen. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to focus our mind. We're going to pray our mind. And listen, after you begin to pray your mind, you start, you start renewing your mind. Notice it says in Acts 6 that they gave themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Listen, prayer without your Bible is, is always going to be a little bit watery. It's praying God's words that carry weight. One of my heroes said this. He goes, Mark, God's word in your mouth is just as powerful as it is in his mouth. God has to guarantee not every one of your weird thoughts. He has to guarantee all his words. The only thing that has a warranty attached to it is what God wrote. So that's why praying scripture is a big deal. Some are like, I pray all the time, but I never read my Bible. Listen, you're going to have a watery prayer life. I'm not saying it's bad. It's a great starting point. But my hope would be is that at some point you stop drinking milk and you start eating some food. So we're going to be a church that not only prays our mind and focuses our mind, but we're going to renew our mind. And as you renew your mind, I believe this, it's, 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 it's the idea that you start reading the Bible and listen, you let the Holy Spirit take desires out of you. There's things, man, people do, they're like, well, this is just the way I am. I'm just angry, bitter, unforgiving, say it how it is. Can we just stop priding ourselves in saying it as it is? The Bible says a fool is quick to vocalize all of his thoughts. All right. I, I don't want to be a fool. The Bible says if you stay quiet, that everyone will think you're smart. They perceive that you're wise. I'm not wise, I'm just quiet. We want to be a community that actually knows how to pray. Man, come up, I'm almost finished. We're going to focus our mind, we're going to pray our mind, we're going to renew our mind with the Bible. And it goes on, it says, not only is there personal prayer that's powerful, there's another dimension of prayer that's called pastoral prayer. And I think, you know, this is very common in the church world today. They're like, well, you know, pastors are just, they're just like us. And they are, we are, there we are. We are just like you guys. And some people say, well, I don't need a pastor. Like, you don't hear from God any differently than I, I hear from him. And that's true also. But I want you to know there is a special grace, I believe, in the government of the church. Just like a basketball team. If everyone on the basketball team was a point guard, and there was no shooting guards, power forwards, centers, if there was no coaches, if there was no managers, if there was no GMs, there would be no Lakers, which is a sad thought. You see, the body of Christ, if there was no need for pastors then God wasted a lot of ink and a lot of pages talking about the requirements of being a man or woman of God. I believe that when you're sick, it says if you're sick, say it with me, sick. So personal prayer will solve suffering, but there's something about pastoral prayer that brings health. I'm not saying you have to do this every week. I can, I can probably count on one hand the times of my life that something was sick in my mind or in my body that I said the Bible says the call for the elders, the leaders of the church and have them pray over me. And I want you to know there were some things that didn't leave with counseling that left when they got cast out. I believe in counseling, but I also believe in casting. I think that some stuff you counsel out and some things you cast out. 
What do you mean, Mark? I mean, there's some things that just need to be, Jack Hayford said it this way. He said, you can't disciple a demon and you can't cast out the flesh. There's a sinful nature that you have to discipline, but there is a dark world out there that you can actually take on evil spirits. There are demons. I'm sorry. It's getting weird in here. There is a darkness. There is a real devil. It's, it's like a figurative. No, it's, there's a real devil. He's not Jesus' brother. They're not co-equals. They're not siblings. They're not in an arm wrestling contest. It's not going back and forth. Jesus isn't stressing in heaven. He's not biting his fingernails. Listen, the Bible says that when Lucifer fell, he took one-third of the stars with him. There's still two-thirds that are with us. For every devil against you, there's actually two angels that are for you. But if we want to just scratch all those odds and say, just turn every angel against God, God still wins. God plus nothing else is always victorious. Sorry, I settled down. I, I want you to know there's something about bringing sick areas of your mind. Maybe you're physically healthy, but maybe your mind is sick. Call for the elders of the church. Maybe your, your, your bank account's healthy, but maybe your marriage isn't. Call for the elders of the church. Maybe you're like, man, well, I, we're doing good, like pretty good like in this area, but man, our kids are really sick. Call for the elders of the church. Notice it says, you call them. Rashawn, I don't have time. The rest of our leadership team isn't like, who needs who's sick? Where are they at? Gotta find them this week. We don't have the gift of all knowledge that we know when you're struggling. So it's actually your job to find leaders in the church, your small group leaders. Come on. People that you're doing life with, community with, and say, man, there's an area of our life that's sick. Would you pray for health coming into it? Break out some anointing oil. I think we used syrup the first week at our church. We didn't have any oil here. Come on, God knew our heart. There's partner prayer. Pastor, are you still with me today? Almost finished. There's partner prayer. What's partner prayer? He says, is, uh, he goes on, he says in James chapter 5, verse 15, he says, uh, confess your trespasses, verse 16, confess your trespasses one to another that you may be healed. Pray for one another that you may be so confess and pray for one another that you might be, here's what's interesting, in 1 John chapter 5, it says to confess your sins to God, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. It's 1 John. But James 5 verse 16 says, if you confess your sins to one another, it says you'll be healed. Here's my conviction, is that you can be forgiven and not healed. I think Orange County is full of people that they, they do what they don't want to do. God, forgive me. And he does. But you keep repeating it. Because you're forgiven, but you're not healed. Sin can't live in the light. It's like a vampire. And so what you do, I'm not saying you have to grab an open mic at a church and go, hey, my name's Mark. True story. Can I tell you a funny story? It's not fitting with Bodie. I'm sorry, guys. But there was a church confessional one time, and this is one of those crazy old school churches. And the pastor got up, or this guy got up, he was an elder in the church, and everyone's confessing their sins. It was like just kind of a crazy old school, we're not endorsing that. And everyone said amen. But this service got a little bit crazy, and the guys got up like, I, you know, I've been, you know, lying, and I cheated on this, and I did bad things, and I'm addicted to that. And then the elder of the church got up and said, started crying. Everyone's like, oh, this can be bad. He said, I killed a man. And the whole church is like, this guy's an elder in the church. His daughter's like in the front row. Security says, we're going to call the police. 
And, the, and then he goes, this just totally messed the church up. He goes, and he was a carpenter's son. Exactly like this guy. Starts describing Jesus. Like, thanks, dude, but settle down. Listen, there's something about confessing, confessing your things you're struggling with with somebody else. And I want you to write this down. You can't trust everybody, but you can trust somebody. Find someone that's further along than you are. And how about this? Find someone, they're not perfect because no one is, but you can find someone that's not struggling with what you're struggling with. I think everyone should have an accountability buddy. Write this, this I'm, I'm going to do a whole series on freedom in this year, but I want you to know men always struggle with your wife. Very important. And I want you to know, my, my journey, I'll talk more about this later, but I, I came out of a lot of pornography addictions and a lot of dark, dark habits. And for, for a season of my life, even in Bible college, I thought I got to struggle with this by myself. And I realized there's a difference between solitude and isolation. Isolation is being alone with you. Solitude is being alone with God. Solitude's good. Isolation is bad. So what I did was, is I said, I got I to gotta struggle with somebody else. So I brought a couple of my friends in the fight and a couple accountability partners. And God did help me. It was, there was a resurgence of freedom in my life. But I'll be really honest, it wasn't until the early years of our marriage that I said, I heard a pastor, one of my mentors, he said, he said, you always, I never got free in these areas of darkness until I brought my wife into the fight with me. He said this phrase, struggle with your spouse. We try to protect our spouse from the damage, but it creates more damage. Are you hearing me right now? I can teach more on that later. But I just want you to know there's something about partner prayer. Husbands, I want to I challenge you. Don't let your wife do all the praying. Rashad and I, we try to do this every Sunday night at least, at least once a week, that we lay out the week ahead of us. We say, hey, we have a meeting on Monday with these people. We have a, a flight. I got to go here on Tuesday. Kenzie has a basketball game on Wednesday. We have that funeral on Thursday. And we lay out what we have to do. And then after we lay out our week, we pray through it. God, we just thank you for wisdom for this meeting, to know what to say with the bank. We thank you that you give us grace at this funeral. Thank you for safe traveling, you know, with this trip. Thank you, God, that you would be with Kenzie, that she would continue to dominate all of her peers. If you're going to pray, come on, pray big. So we pray through our week. We pray through our week. So we have, we have partner prayer. Pray with some, there's, there's power in agreeing with your spouse. One of the words that was given to us is they said, this prophet told us, he said, whatever you and your wife agree on, God will give you. It's hard to agree with your spouse sometimes, isn't it? It's funny, like they have more faith in you in this area, and you have more faith in them in the other area. I'm telling you, when you get agreement, there's something powerful that can happen. Last thing, passionate prayer. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three years and six months, and he prayed again. Heaven gave rain for the effective, the fervent, the prayer of a righteous man avails much. I believe that passionate prayer is not the volume of your voice, it is the intensity of your heart. Effective means that you're doing something that's focused. Effective means you're doing something that's actually, uh, it's actually well laid out. You have planned, this is going to be an effective, listen, if you have an effective business, it's a business that's running healthy. If you want to pray a passionate prayer, you got to actually effectively go, how can I bring this to God with this clarity? God, what do you want me to pray right now? God, how do I disarm that bomb right now with these words? It's an effective fervent. Fervent is like not giving up. 
it's persistent. It's that story of that little widow that wanted justice from the judge, and he didn't care about God, he didn't care about her, but she just kept on. Okay, would you give me justice? No! Can you give me justice? No! And she kept knocking on the judge's door, and eventually this guy's like, this girl's driving me crazy. I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. This lady is wearing me out. And Jesus uses that as an illustration. He says, hey, sometimes you got to get so stinking persistent that I will keep knocking on heaven's door. Because listen, heaven is, heaven is looking for people to call the resources of heaven into earth. We're going to call heaven's attention to what he's doing in Orange County. I know about half the room really believes this, but I'm telling you that there's something powerful about passionate, red-hot prayers. He prayed earnestly. Earnestly in the Greek language means red-hot. It means that you're just like steam coming off your prayers. So you know your son's in the middle of a bad environment. Your mom, you're going, mom's pacing the floor at night. She's praying. She's praying some little like kumbaya prayer. It's like, God, she's rebuking devils and taking names and kicking butts. Are you hearing me? Red hot prayers. It says that he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Watch what happens. It says that the heavens stopped raining. And he prayed another red hot prayer. And it said the clouds came back. Red hot passionate prayer will always change the atmosphere. Change the environment. Some of you are so tired of how dry the mountains are. Man, I wish they were green like last year. You know what heaven does when you begin to pray? It begins to send the clouds. You know there's some things that faith can pull into right now that what God wasn't even planning on? Jesus' first miracle was at a, was at a, a wedding and he turned water into wine. If you read the story, it's interesting. It says this. It says that Mary came to Jesus and said, they need wine, they need some booze. They ran out. And Jesus said, my time has not yet come. I don't know if you ever saw that before. Jesus, he, she says, we need a miracle. He goes, it's not my time yet. It's not miracle season yet. She says, and then she walks away. She's like honoring. She goes, okay. Hey, guys, come here. Dirty dozen. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. And her honor and her faith called a miracle that wasn't supposed to happen that day. Because prayer will take something that's reserved for the future and bring it into the present. That's what prayer will do. You know, Jesus limited himself to pray. He said, and when you pray, pray in my name. Jesus said, whatever you pray in my name, I will give unto you. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask. You will ask. You will ask. Jesus says, there's things that when you involve me in my name and you abide in me in this book, that when you connect with me, when you ask, I'll begin to materialize those things in your life. So you say it like this, they wouldn't happen unless you abide. They wouldn't happen in your marriage unless you asked in his name. Are you hearing me today? So we're going to be a church that knows how to passionately pray. We're going to get into our small groups. We're going to make friendships in this room. And we're saying, hey, man, I need, I need to bring you into my fight. Bring my wife into the fight. And bring, I think every guy should have a, your wife in the fight and have one of your best friends in the church in the fight. Everyone needs an accountability partner. You hear me? I don't care if it's alcohol, I don't care if it's pornography. I don't care what it is. Everyone needs someone to be able to talk with. Because I don't want to just be forgiven by God. I want to be healed. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.